There you go. Can't shake hands. Who'd ever thought we could be comfortable with elbowing each other in church? Of course, wives have been doing that to their husbands for years while they were sleeping during the sermon, so I guess it's not that strange. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16 today as our launching passage. We're going to be looking at other passages as well, but I really feel like as I'm going to be here for the next three Sundays, in between when Sean has finished his term here as your senior pastor as they head off to Zimbabwe, and then your prospective pastor Daniel coming in the two weeks after I'm going to be here, and then, Lord willing, I'm supposed to be back the two weeks following that. As I begin to pray about what it is that God wanted me to do in bringing you a challenge and an encouragement at this time, he brought this passage to my mind to spend some time today. We're going to take a look at what to expect and what not to expect from a pastor. Uh, I've been hearing great things already as we uh, get ready for this weekend coming up in a couple of weeks, or actually two weeks coming up when Daniel and his wife, Linda, I believe it is, are going to be coming in view of a call. And uh, I've been hearing some great stories of God revealing his power and his plan uh, to the search committee and the elders as they've been in this process. I'm excited for you. For those of you that have been in church for any length of time, I hope you do realize what a gift and what a blessing it is that you may have such a short transition between pastors. And man, what an amazing thing that God has done and what a gift this church has been blessed with. But I really feel like God wants me to, as much as I've been hearing some good things as well, give you a couple words of caution as well because we're human and we have a tendency to fall back into some preconceived notions that don't always line up with Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to, I just tipped off how long I'm going to preach, sorry. But I, uh, I uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16. And he, this is God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we dive into this passage and surrounding context from this, this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, Father, we we know that this wasn't just written to the Ephesian church, but it was written as a cyclical letter to pass to all churches, and it's something for us today as well. Father, today we want what you have from this passage for us. Lord, as you know, this is something that's been on my heart for years. It's a part of the book that you had me write as I challenge churches to get back to what it means to walk with you and to be following you instead of our traditions. Lord, at the same time, I don't want to rest in the past times that I've preached from this passage. You've shown me things today as I've been praying over this, even this morning, that jump out that are different from what I've seen in the past. Not contradictory, but more things added. And so, Lord, I'm bubbling over this morning, excited about what You want to do through me, but I want to keep from getting in the way. And so I'm asking by Your Spirit's power and Your grace that You would guide my heart and my mouth and my tongue to the point that at the end of this message, people would know that You have spoken and Jim just didn't preach a sermon. But Lord, just as much as we preachers need to surrender ourselves to You to allow You to speak through us, 
Your Word shows us that we are to humble ourselves when it comes to the hearing of the message as well. That You don't reveal Your truth to those who can figure it out intellectually, but it's Your gracious will, according to Matthew chapter 11, that You reveal it to children and those who humble themselves and say, Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. And so, Lord, we ask that today. Together we pray. Guide the speaker and guide the hearers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I can dive into our passage, I have to kind of show you some context. And Paul's just been writing to the church in many, about many different things, but he's been, he's been challenging them to get to know Christ better. If you go back to chapter 1, you remember he says in, in verse 15, after hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease in my prayers. And here's my prayer. He goes on in that passage and he says, my prayer is that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would know Christ better, the hope to which he's called you, the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints, and his mighty power available for us who believe. And then he goes on and he deals with some theology about how God's brought the Jew and the Gentile together to make the church and to bring one new man that had... Uh, con con contrast at one time and they were enemies and how the church has brought them together. And then in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, look at what he says in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of God, sorry, the love of Christ that surpasses the knowledge the passage knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Don't miss that. Look at it again at verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Then he goes on and says, to him who's able to do more than we could ever imagine, ask or think. And then in chapter 4, he says, I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've called. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So let me set the stage for what Paul's about to do in the passage we're going to look at. Paul's been saying, look, I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for each other. That's awesome. And I'm excited about that. But don't think you're there now because you're a Christian. Actually, the Bible teaches that we should be striving for more and more and more in our knowledge of the Lord and our love for each other. We're going to talk about that a lot next week. But I'm going to show you how the Scripture teaches that if we are truly saved, we should never sit back and say, I'm good. Thank God I'm going to heaven and just cruise. Actually, there should be a, within us a hunger to know the Lord more and to love each other more. That's tomorrow's, uh, next week's message, so we won't preach that one today. But at the same time, with that in mind, Paul's been saying, so I'm praying that you'd have your eyes open to the hope to which he's called you. You've been saved, but you've got to, you've got, he wants to reveal more of what you've already received in that salvation. Uh, glorious inheritance that we have in the saints and his power available for us. And then in the section we see in the end of chapter 3, he says, and here's another prayer I'm praying for you, that you would come to understand with all the saints the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God, and that you would, as you would really come to understand who God really is and how much He loves you and what He's really done in saving you, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And oh, by the way, He's got a plan for each of your lives. And He's given you gifts accordingly. But not only has He given individuals gifts that He wants you to use, He's also given gifts to the church as a whole in the leaders that He's chosen to lead the church. And then in our passage, He says in verse 11, and He also gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, the things He's been praying for for us, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the... What, what is that word? The fullness of Christ. Doesn't that match up with verse 19 of chapter 3? My prayer is that you would get to know Christ more, that you would understand how much He loves you, that you would grow in your knowledge of Jesus, not just that you'd be happy that you're saved, that you would grow in your knowledge of Christ and you'd grow in your love for each other, and that you would really attain to the fullness that is already all yours, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following says. His divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness, that we may actually take hold of the precious promises and experience the divine nature. And he says, but not only am I praying that you would individually have this happen on your own, I want you to understand that God has designed leaders in the church to equip you in this growing in your knowledge of God. But here's the problem. Over the years, we've missed the fact that some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, and some are pastor teachers. You see, not every pastor is the same. But we kind of want them to kind of be the same. You've been blessed with Sean, have you not? Now's your chance to say no, by the way. <laughs> of course you have been. And you thank God for what God's done through Sean. But don't expect Daniel to be Sean. Have you ever noticed that it was God who chose David to be the king of Israel? Who chose the next king of Israel? God did. And he chose Solomon. Oh, by the way, was uh, Solomon just like his daddy? No. He had a different type of gifting and a different type of leadership style for a different season in the life of the church. Only God knows what he wants to do here at Calvary Church here. And he's got in mind, and it's obvious that God's doing something. Let me just say this real quick. I know that we have in our semi-congregationally governed churches where you guys are going to have a say and have a vote, which I think is good that you have an input. But I'm also just going to encourage you these men and women have been praying and seeking God for months. Don't come in with a mindset of, well, I'm going to see if I like this guy. See, because part of the problem is, is a lot of us have preconceived notions as to what we think a pastor should be. I've been in ministry now full time since I've been 19 years old. I'm now 55. I know I'm too good looking and young for that to be true. But I, listen, I, I've been in ministry for so many years. And I have seen churches go through pastor changes over and over and over. I, honestly, more than I can count. And in my ministry, I walk churches through these types of transitions as I've been having the privilege to meet with your elders. And they flew me up here in January and I met with the search committee and the elders as they began the process. And I gave some wisdom and some guidance. And I take no credit for what God's done because this has surprised me how fast this has gone and how well it's gone. God's doing something for his own glory. But let me say to you some things that I've seen. Churches typically, I don't know how you all did it here, I hope it didn't happen this way in the wrong way, but churches typically take a survey of the congregation when they go looking for a new pastor. What would you like our new pastor to be like? And some people will say, well, I want him to be a powerful preacher of the Word of God. And so we put, start putting together our pastor profile. 
We want our next pastor to be a powerful preacher of the Word of God. Someone else will put down on that survey, well, I want him to have the gift of administration. I mean, he's got to oversee the staff and be able to organize things. Okay, we're looking for a man of God that's got the powerful gift of preaching and administrative gifts. And, well, he's got to have a heart for evangelism too, doesn't Don't you think? I mean, come on. He's going to be leading people to Jesus and teaching us how to lead people to Jesus. So he's got to have an evangelist's heart. Okay, we're looking for a man of God that preaches the Word with power, who's got administrative gifts and evangelist's heart. Oh, but, but he's, he's got to be a shepherd too, though, and he's got, he's got to have counseling gifts, and he's got to be able to walk us through our struggles and listen to us when we're hurting and see us in the hospital. And we put together a pastor profile of Superman, don't we? Now, it's partially our fault too, us preachers, when we show up at the interview with the search committee and we read the pastor profile that's impossible for one individual, and we say, I'm your guy. And they say, good, because the last bum sure wasn't. Because if you've ever been in church life, you know that typically what will happen is you'll have a pastor come on scene. He'll look real good because he's going to be kissing all the babies, shaking all the hands, and he's going to look really impressive for the first few years or two. And then all of a sudden you're going to start hearing people say things like this. I love pastor so-and-so. I've never learned more than I have. And he's one of the best preachers I've ever heard. But he's not approachable. He doesn't visit enough. And churches typically will go through a cycle where after a while they'll be dissatisfied because he's lacking in certain areas. You ever notice that? Well, that's because some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastor teachers, and I'll get to that in just a second. But we've expected the one guy to have it all. And inevitably in churches, whenever a pastor moves on, they'll go and find the next pastor who will be strong in the gifts the previous guy didn't have. They'll typically, if you've got a powerful preacher, he's not always going to be gifted as a shepherd. That's just not how God's wired us. You look at me and you say, man, we would love to have you as a pastor. No, you wouldn't. My, my type of counseling is cry a river, build a bridge, get over it. Uh, my gifting is preaching and teaching the word. I'm not real good at visiting and, sh and, and, and walking you through your struggles. That's not, I, I want to just show you what the word says and challenge you to go do it. But typically a church will then go get a pastor that's stronger in the shepherding and weaker in the preaching. And after a while, he'll look good for about a year, year and a half, he's doing the best he can. Then after a while you hear this, I love brother so-and-so. He was there when mama died and he's a wonderful man. And oh, he listens, he's, just a, he's such a sweet spirit. I'm just not getting fed. Been there? I'm gonna ask you a question. If you remember from when, when I preached it before, when I ask questions, I'm going to wait for an answer. So if you're late to lunch, not my problem. <laughs> Who was the pastor of the church in Philippi? Well, maybe that's a tough one. Let me give you an easier one. Who was the pastor of the church in Corinth? The reason you don't know is because there was no one pastor of the church. Actually, if you go to Acts chapter 13, you can look at it later on, you'll see in Acts chapter 13 in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and it lists five. There was Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Paul. We knew him as Saul at that time. But in that church, there was a plurality of leadership. There was elders, and they had different gifts. 
We've tried to make James the official pastor of the church in Jerusalem, but actually Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 when he went up to Jerusalem after being taught by Jesus to make sure that what he had heard from the Lord was what the church was teaching, he actually went and met with those who seemed to be leaders in the church. Leaders. Folks, let me just say something to you. What we've done over the years is we've hurt ourselves by expecting one man to be the one pastor of the church when the Bible says there should be many pastors. The elder team is a mixture of guys who are shepherding the church. Some are prophets, some are teachers, some are apostles, some are evangelists. Some are, they all have different gifts. And you should not expect when Daniel comes, him to be one thing that everybody meets everybody's desires and that's one of the problems we have when we come to these weekends where we look we're going to be looking to see if he's going to have the gifts we want him to have this isn't the question of whether or not he has the gifts you want him to have do you recognize the hand of God and has God been saying this is the one I've chosen and if you say this is God says this is the one he's chosen you let him be who God called him to be whenever I have the opportunity to do uh ordination services or installation services, when new pastors start or young men get called to the ministry, many times God would have me preach to them about David going, going to fight Goliath. You see, when David went to fight Goliath, he went to Saul and said, God's chosen me to fight Goliath. And Saul was like, okay, I'll acknowledge that God's called you to fight Goliath, but you need to wear my armor. And David tried it on for a season and he was wise enough to shake it off and say, no, that's not how I'm supposed to fight Goliath. I'm supposed to fight Goliath the way God's wired me to fight Goliath. And folks, let me just say this to you. When Daniel comes as your new pastor, don't make him wear your armor. Don't say, you're the one God's chosen, but we'll write your job description. You let him be the man that God wants him to be. Some are apostles. Some are prophets. Some are evangelists. Some are pastor-teachers. I think in the Greek, the pastor-teachers combined. Some people think they're five-fold. I think it's a four-fold. That's just me, but that, that little bit doesn't matter that much. But I think the pastor-teacher is combined in the Greek. And let me just say this to you. I don't believe there are any more capital A apostles in the church. Those who had been taught by Jesus face-to-face -face and had did the signs and the wonders to show their apostolic authority in the early church. But I believe the Bible still teaches that there still are apostles in the church. The word apostle means sent one, one sent on a mission. It's not just missionaries, but those who have been given a role by God to actually travel and equip the church in a traveling type of a ministry. Do you know any? You're looking at one. Now, I'm never going to put it on my business card because it's going to freak people out that I say, oh, I'm Apostle Jim Johnson. No, I, but at the same time, my gifting and my role has been for the last 15 years to travel the country and to go into places and equip you in the Word of God and challenge you and then head on to the next place. And to be honest with you, in all my years of being a pastor, I was associate pastor in New Orleans for seven years, senior pastor of a church in uh, Chicago for five years, and then a senior pastor of a church in Florida for five and a half, and I had done youth ministry in two different churches prior to all that. In all my years of being a pastor, God always moved me after a brief period of time. And to be honest with you, that was good with me. If you were to say to me, Jim, we'll give you a church, the deacons won't give you any trouble, and you'll be there 30 years, that sounds like prison to me. Because I've been wired by God to be on the move, and that's the gifting that he's called me to. There are some, though, that are gifted by God and called by God with the pastor-teacher type of a gift who are comfortable staying in a place for a long time. I'm sure you all would have loved to have Sean here for a long, long time. But he's not wired by God that way. If you know Sean well, he's a fixer. 
He's gifted to come into a situation that's hard. Do you realize they're excited about going to Zimbabwe? That makes me question his sanity, let alone his salvation. Let me just say this. But that's a situation that's in need and needs strong leadership. It needs biblical teaching. And he's wired by God for that. Some are apostles. Some are prophets. Like I said earlier, you're gonna, if you have your preacher, if your pastor is a prophet and his main gift is preaching the Word of God, you're going to see the church grow because people are going to come hungry for the Word and they love what he's doing, but don't expect him to be the best shepherd. They're not rare. Those are rare gift mixes. Years ago when I was teaching a pastor's conference in Chicago, I was up there on a weekend and I had 12 senior pastors in a room and I had them for a whole weekend and I was teaching on this principle of how God designed the church to do the work, not the pastors. We'll get to that in just a second. And I asked the senior pastors, there were 12 of them, senior pastors in the room. I said, guys, go around the room. We'll start with you. Uh, tell me what you love in the ministry. Tell me what you hate. Tell me what you feel called to do. Tell me what you don't feel called to do. The first guy said, he said, I'm really not much of a pulpiteer. He'd been a pastor of his church for 18 years. He said, I love teaching the word of God. I'm not really a preacher. I'm just a teacher. I'm one of these people that love study. And I could actually spend a, a whole month on one verse of scripture. He said, I'm not really good at administration or anything like that. He said, I just love to teach the depth of the word of God. The next guy goes, I love the crisis. They all looked at him. He goes, because it's the way God's wired me. He said, if someone's just committed suicide, I want to be the first one there. If a family has just lost a baby, I can sit on their couch for two hours with my arms around them and say nothing. I love the crisis. The next person said, I hate the crisis. He said, I'm a preacher. I've been wired by God to preach the word of God. And in those situations where someone's committed suicide or a child, uh, uh, sorry, family's lost their baby, there's nothing you can say at that time. There are no words that'll help. Don't make me get in there because my gift is to preach and to say something. And I, don't, I feel like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs in that room. Let me go do something else. Don't put me in that room. And as they went around the room of all 12 guys, no two of these senior pastors had the exact same gift mix. They were all different. But what we've done is we've expected one man to be everything. Oh, you need to be looking for making sure that this person uh, loves the Lord and loves his wife. But at the same time, that he knows the word and loves the word and is going to feed you the word of God. Some are evangelists. If you've had a pastor of a church who's an evangelist, most of the messages are going to be how to be saved and you need to be saved and how to tell other people about Jesus. And actually, you're going to see the church grow because there are going to be a lot of salvations and people getting saved. But after a while, you're going to hear people saying, I feel like the pastor cared more about me when I was lost. Duh. He's been wired by God as an evangelist. Folks, let me just say something to you. God never expected one man to be at all. Now, I unfortunately had to learn this the hard way. See, I had been raised, my dad was a pastor, and he had the wrong mindset. I'm going to show you scripturally where we got the wrong mindset. But he, got the, he had the wrong mindset that he was supposed to be everything to everybody and make everybody happy and do all the work. And I was raised by a dad that did that, and I watched him do it and watched him about die in his health. And our family str struggled and suffered because he wasn't around. But then when I went into ministry, I went on staff, like I told you, as an associate pastor in New Orleans under a senior pastor who had the same mindset. And it was a big church, 2,000 
on a Sunday morning. I'm one of eight pastors, and I'm being mentored by a pastor who had the wrong mindset that he was supposed to be everything to everybody. And that's how I was raised. And when I left the, the associate pastor to go into the senior pastor in Chicago and into Florida, I continued to pastor in that same way until one night I came home exhausted. My kids and my wife were already in bed like they always were when I finally got home. I don't know if I was at a committee meeting or a hospital or what. I couldn't remember what it was. But I remember walking into my house that night in the dark, sitting in my living room, looking out at our swimming pool in the backyard and wanting to go lay down in the bottom of the pool. And I didn't want to float on top. I wanted to go to the deep end and just take a deep breath and be done. I was so tired. My wife had no idea, my kids had no idea, and the church had no idea. If you had asked the church, they'd say, these are the greatest years, our church has quintupled in size, the budget's increased, and everything's going on, and, and no one had any idea that I was thinking about taking my own life because of my exhaustion. And I prayed to the Lord that night, and I said, Lord, I'm tired. God said to me, he said, are you burnt out? I said, oh, Lord, I'm burnt out. He said, um, does the Holy Spirit ever run out? He said, no, you promised rivers of living water. You said, I'd never thirst again. He said, so are you burnt out because you're doing it in your own strength and not mine? And then God began to open my eyes to what we're talking about today. He began to show me that I had come into the churches that I became as, uh, came as senior pastor. They were churches that were struggling, and I came in to help them get turned around. And by God's grace, every church that I pastored exploded in growth. But I would always come in and say, stop doing it the way it's always been done. Let's relook at the scriptures, and let's rebuild this ministry from the scriptures ground up. And we would. we rebuild everything, and God would just bless it because it was lined up with his word and empowered by his spirit. And then he said to me that day, he said, Jim, you've rebuilt everything in the church from the ground up scripturally, except what you do. You're still pastoring the way it's always been done. And he sent me on a little bit of a study and a search to find out what does the Bible actually say the pastor's job really is. And in doing so, I found out that this passage is, I think, where we got off. I'm going to show you in just a second why, but let me ask you a question. If you were asked most typical church people today, this question, what would they say? Whose job is it to build up the church? The pastors, right? Someone sick? Call the pastor. Someone need to be saved? Call the pastor, right? But doesn't our context say that the body's supposed to build itself up? Where did we get off? I can show you. Does anybody here have a King James translation in, in, in front of them? Okay, if you've got a King James, double check what I'm about to say, all right? Look at the passage. And, and for those that don't have King James, I don't know if you guys have the ability to throw scripture up on the screen. I don't know. Some churches do, some don't. If you don't, don't worry about it. Here's how it re reads in the King James translation, which is the only English translation we had for a long, long time. It says, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the edification of the body. Is that correct? All right. Every other English translation since the King James, including the New King James, has removed the comma between the sorry, the equipping the saints and the work of the ministry. You take the comma out, and it changes the whole context of the sentence. Now, again, 
Hopefully you, don't, you know this. I'm sure with Sean as your pastor for so many years, you probably have been, heard this already. The original text didn't have any punctuation. The, the, the Hebrew and the Greek scholars had to kind of know sentence structure to know where a sentence was starting and where a sentence was ending. So there were no commas and periods and stuff like that. And so the translators had to do their best to try to put commas where they thought they would be. And so in the King James translation, for the longest time in the American church, the only English translation we had was the King James. And so for many, many, many years, the passage said he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the building up of the body. It sounds like it's their job. Even though the very end of it, if you go back to around verse 16, it says the body edifies itself in the King James. Even though the context shows that's not the pastor's job, we've just assumed that because of the comma, that there, it was the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry. Someone need to be saved? Call the pastor. Someone's sick? Call the pastor. But like I said, Greek scholars have come to realize from years of study that that comma in the context in the whole of Scripture should never have been there. And so when you take the comma out between equipping of the saints and the work of the ministry, listen to how the sentence reads now. He gave us these four different types of pastors for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Whose job is it to build the body up now? It's the body's job. Folks, if you're sitting here saying, I can't wait until the pastor gets here and he can get some things done, you totally don't understand. The early church had that same problem. That's human nature. In Acts 6, we know when the church was growing and the daily distribution of the food for the widows was a problem, they ran to the pastors and said, hey, we got a problem. And they were wise enough to say, choose some men among you full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll hand this responsibility over to them. It wouldn't be right for us to neglect what we're supposed to be doing, the ministry, the word, and prayer to wait on tables. By the way, if your pastor today said when you came to him with a problem, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. You let someone else take care of that. I'm going to be focusing on this. Most pastors today would be fired. Because we have written his job description. Oh, we'll all say this is the one God called. But the job description is put together by the personnel committee. Folks, listen to me. God's doing something. He's been doing something here at this church for many, many, many years. And in the last few years, you've been blessed to have Sean come and to feed you the word of God and root you in the word of God and use his gifts to change structure and get things going and things are going well, and God has picked your next pastor, and he's shown your leadership who it is. And he's blessed you with a hard, a very brief transition, it appears, unless God shows us something else. Don't write his job description. Let him be the man called him to, who God called him to be, and God will raise up leadership around him to equip you to do the work of the ministry. But as Wayne was sharing this morning, I've already heard some good news. He was talking about how he loves being a part of Calvary because the body's been checking in on the body. Praise God. Keep it up. Do it more and more. Oh, by the way, that's next week's message. I'm not going to preach that one today. Look closely now at what's going to happen when you let the pastors be who God called them to be. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let me stop real quick. Have you not been blessed by God for the last five or so years with a pastor who has taught you the word and fed you the word and grounded you in biblical truth so that you won't be susceptible to all the junk that's out there? Do you realize in most of our churches today, most pastors don't know the word any more than a good Sunday school teacher that's prepared their Sunday school lesson? They're cramming on Saturday night to come up with their message as they come and preach the word, and they'll read you a passage of scripture and then talk for 20 minutes. And they don't feed you the word. Why? Because a lot of those pastors are supposed to be in the hospital tomorrow morning, and then they got a committee meeting, and they got to check on the budget and all this other kind of stuff. And folks, that we've just sat back and expected the guy, well, we're paying him to do the work. No, he's supposed to be equipping you to do the work through the ministry of the word. And the body is supposed to be building each other up. Oh, but listen closely. Remember Paul's prayer? My prayer is that you would know the hope to which he's called you, his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his mighty power for us who believe. My prayer is that you know the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God, and that you be full to all the fullness of Christ. Paul says, look, you are missing out on everything that you already have in your walk with Jesus as an individual if you expect the pastor to do the work of the ministry. It's when you get involved in the work of the ministry and walk according to the manner that God's chosen for you, according to the gifts he's given you, and the pastor equips you to go find what it is you're supposed to be doing. That's when you'll experience the power that's available for you. That's when you'll experience how much he loves you. That's when you'll realize how much it is a blast to be a Christian and just live the life that Jesus has for you. Pray that this pastor teaches you how to get involved in ministry where God's called and gifted you. Rather, we're supposed to be speaking the truth in love, verse 15. We're to grow up in every way into who? Into who? Into Christ. Don't be surprised when God moves pastors. Because sometimes we get addicted to them. And God reminds us, yes, you were blessed with Sean, but it really wasn't Sean, it was me through Sean. It was me all along. Isn't that what God told the nation of Israel? If you go back to the book of Hosea, he says, all those years it was me who provided you crops, it was me who provided you rain, and you gave credit to Baal. What have we done over the years? We've put the pastor on the pedestal. Didn't Paul deal with the Corinthian church with that same problem? I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. Guys, ladies, our job is to point you to Jesus. If you walk out of here today and say, Jim did a really good job, I failed. But if you've gone deeper in your understanding of who Jesus is and what his word says and what it means to walk with him and your knowledge of him and your love for him and for each other increases, I've done my job. Because we're supposed to be pointing you to him not to us. Listen to what he says now. This Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How many pastors have been in trouble because the church has sat back and said, well, you've been here so many years and the attendance hasn't grown? And we think it's the pastor's fault when the Bible actually says the body is supposed to be the one 
that's causing the body to grow. As God works through you to love each other. Folks, you've been blessed by God with what's going on. This transition appears to be brief. Unless we've missed the Lord, you might not be very long without a senior pastor. That's a gift of God, but don't let preconceived notions get in the way of what God wants to do. Don't say, okay, God, thank you, and then tell him to wear your armor. You let him be who God's called him to be, and you then say, okay, Lord, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? How am I wired to help the body? Where am I gifted to encourage the brothers and sisters in the way that I am? And watch what God continues to do in this place. Now, let me just say this to you as we wrap near the end here. I'm going to let you out early so that you'll come back next week. I know that this, for some of you that are older, is a hard thing to fully grasp. Let's just imagine, put yourself in a senior adult situation. Your whole life you've been taught, because of that comma, that the pastor is supposed to be there for you. And the pastor is supposed to be the one who visits you. And the pastor is supposed to be the one who does all this. Imagine that you raised your child from birth and said to the child, look, you don't have to make your bed. Mom and dad are going to do it. You don't have to cut the grass. Mom and dad are going to do it. You don't have to do the dishes. Mom and dad are going to take care of it. And that child grows up in your home and turns 50, 60, 70 even. And then one day you sit Junior down in the kitchen and say, um, Junior, we just found out that there's a comma that shouldn't have been there. And uh, um, you're now supposed to be doing some dishes and making the bed and cutting the grass. How do you think Junior's going to react? I know that this is actually a hard thing for some people because it goes against everything we've been taught. But I want to challenge you to not just take Jim's word for it, but examine the scriptures and see if what I've just shared with you today isn't true. We need leaders. We need pastors. We need elders in our church. And you guys are one of the healthy churches that have this type of leadership. But they're all different in their gifts. And God's going to bring you a senior pastor, and his gifts are going to become evident. Let him work in the way that God's wired him, and God will put the team together around him. And then as the body ministers to each other, watch what God does at Essex Fells here at Calvary Chapel for his glory. Now, years ago, like I told you, when I went through that struggle, when I was thinking about ending my life, and the Lord got a hold of me and got me looking at the scriptures to see how I was doing things wrong. I went through a process where he not only was teaching me, I began teaching the church that I was pastor of for two years on this concept and showing them from the whole of scripture. That whole study that God sent me on, I didn't give it to you today. I know it felt like it, but I didn't. I gave it to my church for two years. At the end of the two years, after church, two older ladies came up to me one Sunday and they leaned in and they said, Pastor, would you please forgive us? I said, what for? They said, well, we shouldn't have expected you to be visiting us all the time. We shouldn't have expected you to always be at our house or at every surgery and all these things that the body should have been doing. Would you please forgive us? I said, ladies, it's forgiven. Then they leaned in, they looked around and they whispered, but you're still going to come see us, right? My prayer is that as we have prayed at the beginning and what Jason prayed, is that you would not only hear the word, but do it. I love you. Thanks for letting me come this morning.